Praise the Lord, right? Saw the chapel airs and heard Gilligan's Island and the animals, and I don't know the last one, I guess. Was, there, was, that, a, was that regular? That was regular? Okay. <laughs> That's not good that the pastor doesn't know what Amazing Grace sounds like. Um, so, um, good to see everybody. Glad the chapel airs were good sports to come up. Moments, did they know about it? Okay. Praise the Lord. You're probably in trouble when you go home, but that's, but praise the Lord, that was great. That was good stuff. Um, and like Timothy said, it's, you know, the God of my grandfather is my God. He's going to be the God of my children and my grandchildren, right? That is so perfectly said. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to continue on in our study. I have my, I, my printer wasn't working this morning, so I've got an element of what I was going to say. So we'll just make it up, right? We just make it up. Um, but this morning, I want to talk to you about 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And before we get started, I just want to go ahead and just let you know that God's grace is truly amazing. And there is nothing that God can't save us from. Y'all believe that? There is nothing His grace can't overcome in our lives. Um, we are people who live by God's grace and so I just want to make sure that everybody understands. This is one of those passages that it's actually easy to misunderstand, and it can somehow, if you don't pay attention to it, it might create the possibility to be judgmental, and that is not the goal here this morning. It's a controversial passage, and it's just, it is what happens in the New Testament. If you start preaching through a book, chapter by chapter, you're going to run into some controversial things, and that's just the way it is. God designed it that way. We believe that the Bible is written under the influence of the Holy Spirit, certainly. And so this morning, I would just invite you, if you're a Christian this morning, um, just put aside all of the things that you've heard all of your life, and let's listen to what the Word says, then evaluate it. You can evaluate it after the service. You don't have to agree with everything that the pastor preaches. Did you all know that? You do not have to. Um, but you should be able to formulate why you don't. And that is something that a lot of Christians don't do, right? Because sometimes we just simply follow our hearts instead of the Word of God. And let me tell you something, God's Word is always true. It is transcendent. It is always going to be right. So with that said, I just want to talk to you about remaining a new people. Now, you know, I think I've told you in the past when I worked at Donnelly's in Indiana. I was in a book factory. Some of you have heard this story many times. I worked in a book factory, and what I did was I piled down, we called it stacking on a crate. We call it pile down books. I would pile down bad books, and I'd pile down, sometimes we'd run Bibles, and I'd pile those down, and got to reading a little bit in the Bible a little bit, and some, some book, we ran a book about a bunch of angels, and I, I like Greek mythology. I just always have, and I just thought I'd just go ahead and read it. I ended up getting saved. I mean, I ended up reading the Word of God, and I, you all know that story. I read the Word of God, and I just believed that the Lord is who He says He is and that He loves us. And I remember thinking, I just had this bad picture of who Jesus is up to that point. And I've said this several times recently. And I've often wondered, who in the world gave me the bad picture of who Jesus is? And that's, that's always a question I've been trying to answer. My mother, she didn't know who Jesus is. My 
my father really did, and we just had an idea, but we didn't really understand. So I suspect it's going to be that I probably got an image of who Jesus is by being around Christians. Is that fair to say? Uh, Because I don't, if you don't know the Lord, you just simply don't know him. And if you don't know the Lord, you're not going to read the Bible unless you're working at a book factory and the Bible just happens to come by your way and you don't have anything else better to do. You just open it up. You're just not going to say, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down today. I feel like reading something. How about I read the Bible? Um, If you're not a believer, that's not going to happen. So the only way people like me were going to know who Jesus is is by Christians. Now, we, now, I didn't understand anything about denominationalism or anything like that. I didn't know that there were different ideas about who Jesus is within Christianity, right? So, but I just knew in general that if somebody said that they were a Christian, then somehow I must be meeting their God through them. And I think that that is exactly what God has in mind. So what I've told you in the past is that when I was working there, I was driving home one day, and I used to say this real bad cuss word. I know I've told you many times, but it was a bad one. It was the bad one, right? And I could not quit doing it. I would try, and I just couldn't do it. I could quit saying the other ones for some reason. I could stop saying that stuff, but I couldn't quit saying it. And I remember thinking to myself when I was driving home one day, I thought, if God is real and his grace is real, then I should no longer be different because, or no longer be the same. I should be different because I know him, right? I should be something new of sorts. There should be something new. So remember a couple weeks ago we were talking in Romans and we talked about when we come to Jesus Christ, what he begins to do in us is he begins to change us inside out. We call it regenerated. We call it born again. All of these things, because of God's grace coming into our lives, we begin to change now. We're no longer that same person. And I somehow, without knowing the whole of the Bible, knew that if God is who he says he is, then somehow I should be able to be very different than I am. And so I started praying that, and I said, Lord, I want you to make me for real. I didn't know how to pray theologically. Every of these guys pray theologically, Lord, you know what I'm saying? And they just start talking about all the things in their prayer time. You can almost get a sermon out of their prayers. I'm just simply saying, Lord, you know, I need to be for real about you. I need to really be different. And eventually he did. He delivered me from saying that word. God created something new in me that day. And that is something that people don't know. Because if you're watching Christians, there's an idea within our ranks that God does nothing new in you. Did you know that? I'm going to just be honest with you. If that's the case, then God needs to step his game up. If you can't be different than what you were, then God needs to step his game up. Because here's the thing, Timothy might as well not even got up here and sang that song, Somebody Do Something. Because if there's nothing that can be done, then there's nothing to do. Y'all understand what I'm saying. 
if I can't do anything differently, then I might as well sit down and just simply think about, well, I hope everything's done for me so that I can get to heaven, right? Because I certainly don't see any change in this world because God exists. But I know this from the book of Ephesians, right? God's creating a new humanity. And he's doing it through the church, capital C, the church universal. And within this new humanity, I suspect that it's realistic that it, we, it can actually happen because the people who are a part of the church are those who are being born again and regenerated so then the idea becomes, because I'm being changed from the inside out, now God is honestly creating a new humanity one person at a time. Y'all see that. And so, when I come across people as a pastor who may experience some great difficulty in their life because maybe their spouse has left them, whatever the case may be. And then sometimes it's so difficult because they're trying to understand, make heads or tails of what's going on. What they will tell me is that generally when their spouse leaves them, it is because they've fallen in love with someone else and it's more often than not, I hear churches are actually endorsing that. I told you it's going to get a little more controversial, right? Churches are saying it's okay. And I'm here to tell you something this morning. It's not okay. Because here's the thing. If God is creating a new humanity, if God is creating something new inside of me, that means that I'm no longer going to be like the world. I'm not going to need Jesus Christ to somehow justify my behavior in the world. If it's about selfishness in my life, I do not need Jesus to teach me that. I already have that. I don't need him for that. Now, if I want to look at Jesus in a particular way and say, well, thank God he's just taking my punishment for me. But I don't know about you, somebody coming into this thing, if I wasn't raised in church, I have a problem thinking that just I can do what I want and Jesus just takes the punishment over and over for me. That doesn't compute. If God is creating a new humanity, then the, the goal of the church then, while we're in this world, we have to really be intentional about remaining God's people. Remaining a new pe people, if you understand what I'm saying. We have to remain. So sometimes I tell you, I am being saved right now. I am actively being saved by Jesus Christ. He is working within my life to make me something that I never was before, to make me something very different. So as I'm being saved, it somehow implies to me, if I'm being saved, that means the possibility exists for me not to not reach the finish line. Now we're getting into doctrine, aren't we? Y'all been going with me through the first Corinthians book, and you know that what we're doing is chapter by chapter. We're trying to let the Word of God speak to us. 
not just Pastor Scott or Pastor Joel Osteen or somebody like that, right? We are trying to let the word of God speak to us because if we're going to remain a new people, we need to understand God's direction for us in our lives. So last week we were talking about arrogance and how it undermines the church. And we were building on to what we already established about the Corinthian church in the first century. We said that the problem that they were having is that they were very spiritual people. And not only were they very spiritual, they were over-spiritual in the sense that what they had in mind with their spirituality was that the physical body doesn't mean anything because it's all going to be burnt up. It doesn't matter. So if the physical body means nothing, then what we do in the body means nothing because the unseen God who exists that we can't see, he's going to save what is unseen inside of me. Paul has a problem with that. Paul has a problem with that. Because this is why you're going to get into 1 Corinthians 15 eventually, and you're going to start learning that you are going to be receiving a resurrection body because in the day of the Lord, you're going to have a new body given to you. And so you're going to see all through 1 Corinthians is that the, that the Lord, under the, um, the Paul, under the inspiration of the Lord, is very concerned that maybe we are doing things with our body that we should not do. Because Jesus said, you're going to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. You're the whole of you. So you go back to Romans then. You know in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, present your bodies, the whole of you, mind, body, soul, and strength, as living sacrifices. Okay? Because we talked about suffering last week. Remember that? We said, listen, in, the, in, in what Paul's talking about, the arrogance of people sometimes will not allow them to suffer for the sake of God's grace in this world because they're too good for that, right? Because they're, they, they're too special for that, and which was another problem with the Corinthian church who thought they were so special. And then they also had worldly wisdom creeping into the church. Remember us talking about that as well. And so with that suffering, how are you going to suffer rightly for Jesus Christ if what happens in the flesh does not matter. Y'all see that? So it brings us to something that's going on in this passage. I'm going to read all of chapter 5. This is something that is very touchy this morning. And I want you to know that. Because it's easy to think that the pastor just sounds like he's mean. Anybody remember seeing the mean pastor when you were a kid, sitting in the back row? always telling you what you're doing wrong and stuff like that. I hope I'm not coming across that way. I think I'm fun. I really do. I think I'm a fun guy. But here's the thing. There's some serious stuff being talked about here. So let's just take a look at how we're going to, why it's important to remain God's people and how. And I'm going to read to you the entire chapter. It's only 12 verses, 13. And it says this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that even pagans do not tolerate. Pagan is somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who was doing this, has been doing this? 
For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. I'm just going to stop for a second because I I don't want to lose anybody this morning. Did you see the purpose statement that was going on right there in that last sentence I read? It's it's, It's so that he may be saved on judgment day. Because God's grace, we're going to talk about that in a second, but God's grace compels us to care, right? We don't, we don't just write people off. And that's not what Paul's doing here, so pay attention. Look at verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Getting an allusion to the communion table now. Y'all see this? Getting a little bit of an allusion here. We don't take communion unworthily, do we? Remember that? That's coming in chapter 11. So he says, get rid of the old yeast so that you, you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. These are plural yous. He's talking to the group, the people. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness. Deceit is what he's talking about. Lawlessness, rejecting the law of God but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, and a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. That's some tough stuff. Hopefully we can get this broken down correctly, right? Let's look at it. To remain a new people, we must understand grace does not give license to sin. So, several years back, I can tell you that why this is important is because we had a festival, and I think I've shared this in the past, we had a festival, there's two other guys on the stage. It was cool because what we were trying to do, we were team preaching. I mean, we were just taking turns preaching. We were going through the book of 1 John, and if you've ever read the book of 1 John, that is a black and white book. There is just no middle ground in 1 John. Because John will say, he who hates his brother does not love the Lord. That's basically the kind of idea. He's not really a child of God if he hates his brother or sister in Jesus Christ. If he's going around hating people, this person isn't really someone who's been made new on the inside by the Holy Spirit is what he's saying. Okay? So when we're preaching through this, one of the things that we were doing, I remember that I'm just trying to stick with the text, 
And I remember telling everybody that was there, if you're a Christian this morning, you need to pay attention to this. Because if you say you love the Lord and you hate your brother and sister in Christ, you're lying. That's what the Bible says. Look it up yourself. First John, right there at the end of the New Testament. And I remember how subdued everybody looked because they were like, this guy's a jerk, right? They're like, what's wrong with this guy? And, I, and I'm just up there like Rodney Dangerfield. That's my age. Just, you know, choking a little bit. I'm up there thinking, oh my goodness, I, this is rough. And I remember the other pastor come up and he says, amen, amen. But here's the thing. God knew you were going to go home this afternoon and commit sin, and that's why Jesus went to the cross on your behalf, so that you would no longer suffer that consequence. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong now. Y'all still with me? All I'm doing is I'm going with the text. Paul has said something that's very important Because the church is the new humanity, right? The church is the new people that God is actually creating in our midst. And what Paul is saying is that if somebody is living continually in sin, there's a problem. If they're living continually in sin because they believe the grace that God gives us, has actually taken away the consequence of sin, then there's a problem. Because what it looks like is when that, this is happening, and remember the Corinthian church was so wise, right? They're so wise. You remember what I said? They're so spiritual because they're thinking, you know what, because everything's going to burn up on the day of the Lord only thing that's going to matter is our soul. They think that they're wise enough, much like the Pharisees who looked for a loophole in the law so that they could commit the sin that they wanted to, that they have found that God's grace somehow now is actually giving them a license to do what they want. And Paul saying, no, sir. Those who are misusing God's grace would go back to 1 John again and they are lying to themselves. If someone is saying, I can do whatever I want, then you are falling into the 1 Corinthians issue of the history of heresy of probably dualism, antinomianism. You can't do what you want. That's, you see, here's the thing. I was a pagan, if you want to say it like that. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. So when I prayed to him and I say, Lord, look, here's the thing. I need to be for real about my relationship with you. You have to change me, right? So I instinctively, I understand that a relationship with Jesus Christ definitely makes me different than the way I was. I need God's grace to do that. I don't need God's grace to say, okay, God has given me grace so that he can change the way he's looking at what I'm doing wrong. I need God's grace to change what's going on wrong inside of me. 
y'all see this. This is a huge thing. And it's, it's hurting the church. I'm going to get off this, but I'm going to say that when I ask the question, who in the world lied to me? When I ask that question, and I say something like, maybe it was Christians, maybe it was Christians who said, well, this sin is bad, but this sin is okay. And it's always going to be the sin that's okay is the one that we continue to commit. But when you're looking at it from my perspective, before I know Jesus, you're judging me, right? You're just simply looking down on me and telling me what's wrong with me. You want me to not be like Jesus, you're wanting me to be like you. And these are the new norms that you're establishing. That's what's happening. So I knew instinctively that that God is not a fair God. So I didn't serve him until I read who he is in the Bible. Then I got a good picture of who Jesus is. But we have to remain a new people, y'all. We've been saved, we've been redeemed, we're different, we're no longer that same person. We are changing. God is, his grace is not only saving us from consequences in eternity, but his grace is saving me from desiring to sin because I'm being changed new inside. I don't want to, right? I don't want to. I'm not saying I get it done, but I shouldn't be wanting to sin. I shouldn't be wanting to do those things wrong. Let's look at the next thing I want you to see this morning. To remain a new people, we must reveal the image of Christ. So now I've already alluded to it. What's happening is all of our churches, everybody that comes under the name of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what denomination you are, what, whoever comes under the name of Jesus Christ, what is happening is if God is honestly, as Paul says, is changing us into a new humanity, then what's going to happen is the world is going to get a new image of who God is. Now, why this is important is because Paul is already, he's, he's understanding, he's saying, listen, Corinthians, I know you're all familiar with the Old Testament. I know you're all familiar with the first five books of the Bible. He's already been talking about um, the, the issue with the man who is sleeping with his mother, whether it's his real mom or not, I don't know. It's hard to define that. It doesn't matter. He's doing something to sin against his father, who's bringing shame on his father. You know this from Leviticus. Then we go into the book of Deuteronomy, and what we know in Deuteronomy 4 is that what God was wanting to do is he's taking the Israelites out of Egypt, and they're going into the foreign land where they're going to take the promised land, and all of the foreign nations were going to look at them and say, who, what other nation is so great as to have their God dwelling with them and have the laws and the wisdom of, the God that, of their God with them and live by them? Who else can do this? This is something new. No other nation has ever seen this. You see the idea? God's creating a new nation and new people through Israel, even in the Old Testament. And so Paul then is saying, you're starting to get the image, if you're somebody who doesn't know who Yahweh is in the Old Testament, you're getting the picture of who he is. He's someone who says, I want you to love me and love your neighbors. And if you'll live like this, you'll follow these commandments, and no longer will you be doing things to harm each other. We all get that. That's what a new people looks like, okay? And so when he looks at the church, he says to them, he's saying to them, look, you have said and decided that it's okay that you have a Christian brother or sister 
who is committing this sexual immorality. Because what you're doing is you are boasting. Did you pick up on that in the reading? They were boasting. Because the idea seems to be, just going from the context of 1 Corinthians, the idea would be, well, it doesn't matter because God's grace is so great. It doesn't matter. This person is saved by God's grace. All of the physical stuff is going to burn up anyway. So who cares? Let's eat, drink, and be merry, right? You've heard that before. Let's just do what we want. But the problem is, is you're projecting the wrong image of who Jesus Christ is to the world. And so Israel, who failed, right? Israel failed because they went back. They didn't actually get all of Egypt out of them. They went back to their selfish ways. They never really projected the vision God had for them in Deuteronomy 4 while they're in the foreign land. And so Paul's saying to them now, to the Corinthian church, look, when Israel was taken out, just to show how important you are as the temple of Christ, when Israel was taken out of Egypt, the only way they escaped Egypt was for them to be in their sanctified houses where they covered the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed so that the destroying angel would pass over them. Remember that? This is what made them on, on the road to becoming a new type of nation. And Paul's saying it is the same thing in the church. When you're all together, you're the temple of the Spirit. This building means nothing. It's the Spirit of God who dwells in you that becomes sacred in this group. And so when you're all together, the Paschal Lamb, the Lamb that was sacrificed, was Jesus Christ for you. Jesus. His blood was shed this time. And His blood is what makes you become the real image of Christ because you really are supposed to be a new batch of dough, right? But Paul's going on to say you're distorting the image of Christ because what's happening, if you're tolerating that sexual immorality and you're saying it's no big deal, it starts to work itself through the whole lump of dough. You have to get rid of that old leaven. Y'all with me still, right? You notice this is New Testament, not Old Testament? This is a big thing because we have people in our world right now, in the church universal, everybody does as they see fit in their own eyes. And what's happening is God's grace is being trampled on and we're projecting the wrong image of who Jesus is. Because if I'm somebody on the outside looking into the church who's practicing all of this worldly sin and acting like it's no big deal, I don't need Jesus for that. I don't. I can just go back and say, well, I couldn't quit saying that word. Who cares? Jesus has taken my punishment. Just forget about it. But all the while, we're harming our neighbor. You see how distorted this gets. 
Because when I take, if I take my father's wife, right, and everybody's just going to be quiet about it and ignore it, first thing that's happening is you're not going to be loving me. But the second thing that's going to happen is, is that I am harming a Christian brother or sister. And when I do that, we go back to Deuteronomy, and there's a big section all the way through that book that says, purge evil from among you. Get rid of the law-breaking. Don't do it. Because you're hurting not just God, but you're hurting each other. And if we're hurting each other, we're no longer a new people. You know what we are? We are a people who are together. That The only characteristic that you see in us is the characteristic of the world. And I think the world has enough help of it without us, uh, enough um, ability on its own without our help to add to the problem that's going on in this world and then to call ourselves justified. May God forgive us for that, right? So now we are seeing how serious it is that we remain a new people. So then Paul says, and notice at the end of this, he says, expel that person. He doesn't call him a brother or sister. You can read it yourself. He says, expel the person. Now remember what I said? We're not, now we're, we're not trying to get rid of people. That's counterproductive, right? This isn't what Paul's saying. He's saying, and remember that story he gave us a little bit about the Passover? He's saying if you put that person outside the house, remember what Jesus said, who are my family? Who's my mother? Who's my father? Aren't they those who are inside this house with me doing my will right now, making disciples, right? Are they not the disciples? Not my biological people who are outside the house. So if we take the person and the person's outside, the idea is, the sinfulness in the person gets afflicted. Because the whole point of the affliction is to redeem the person. See, God's grace is meant to transform us. Not just keep writing checks for forgiveness. Not so that we can continue to do as we see fit. Because when we do as we see fit, we're not becoming that new people. We're no longer remaining that new people. So God's grace then is to afflict us by panning us over so that we would finally get to a place where we say, you know what, I'm without Jesus right now. Kind of like the prodigal son who got out into that foreign land and do you remember what he did after he went through everything that he had? He said, I'm no longer fit to be called my father's son. I'm going to go back and I'm going to be, I'm just going to ask him, you don't have to call me your son, dad, but what you can do is you can just let me be a servant. I'll come back and just be like one of your servants. I just want to come back. And do you remember what the dad did? You come on home, son. You come on home. Because what he did is he got down in that hog manure is what we used to say on the farm. Hog manure, right? Is that, is that the French word for, you know what, right? Manure? I don't even know, but that's what we said. He got down in that hog manure, and it stinks. Anybody ever lived by, by hogs? 
dude, that's bad. It's bad. I'm telling you, it's bad. And so he's like, I've had enough of this. I've had enough. So the idea Paul's given then is for the one who is going to be shown that you're off track, you're no longer remaining a new person, that person is supposed to get enough to where they're sick of that sin and then they want to change. You know, that's what repentance is, isn't it? You know, uh, when kids are at school, sometimes people think, um, I like this kid better than this kid because I might take this kid and say, if they do something bad, I'll be like, uh, you know, what'd you do that? And they'll tell me, I wish I hadn't have done it. I wish I would never have done it. I don't want to do those things anymore. And I'll say, don't worry about it. But then another kid, if they'll say, well, it ain't my fault. I don't know. He made me do it. When I hear that stuff, I'm lighting them up. Now, why? Why would be the difference? Am I unfair? No. The difference is simply this. When somebody finally takes responsibility for what they've done, then God begins to build something new in them. Did you know that? I had to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I know what I've done. I've had to be very honest with him. I've been honest with other people. And so when I do that, I'm repenting. And I'm, that's what I was doing when I was praying about that word that I was saying. Lord, that word disgusts me. I don't want to do this anymore. Please help me not say those things. And he did. He did. Now, there's things I prayed for in the past, but I really secretly wanted to continue to do them, right? But because I really wanted to be away from that word, the Lord gave me the grace to change, to be transformed. You know, what's going on right now is, somebody might be thinking right now, I've never heard a preacher say something like this. If that's true, can I tell you, that's probably what's wrong in the American church right now. Because you're reading it with me. I'm not, I'm not adding to this stuff. There's so much more that, this probably should have been two or three sermons in this chapter alone. But you cannot do something so egregious to your neighbor and seriously believe that you're justified before the eyes of the Lord. You cannot do it. You know what gets God's dander up? It's when we do something to harm each other. When we take something from each other, something sacred, you better believe the Lord starts to pay attention to that stuff. This is beyond just a mistake or maybe somebody letting a, a cuss word slip once in a while, right? This is something that is harming outside of themselves. So if you're somebody this morning that thinks, well, pastor, um, God's grace saves me from all the sin that I've committed that I will ever commit. Um, yes, God's grace saves you from the sin that you've committed, but it doesn't give you a license to commit more new sin because then you need grace again. And it's grace to change. God's grace isn't to be misused in that, in that sense. But if it, you could be somebody this morning that thinks, you know, pastor, here's the problem I have, and it's simply this. I don't know how you're going to get us to understand what the image of Christ is. Well, I know this. If we're a people of God who have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, let me tell you something. It's because we are starting to appear like a group of people 
who live a lot like Jesus did in the Gospels. You know, Israel never could pull this off in the Old Testament, right? But Jesus did. Jesus did. And then when Jesus went to the cross, Jesus, because of him going to the cross, he makes it possible for us, under his grace and through what he's doing through us, to come close to doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're not going to be perfect, but we certainly aren't going to wink at terrible sin in our life and act like we're justified. You might be somebody thinking, well, you know, Pastor, um, this accountability thing that you're talking about, I forgot to do it, didn't I? I'm sorry. You can go ahead and throw that last point up. I've already been through it. Um, (laughs) But the accountability, maintaining accountability among us as a people, if you look at how I have that written, I said, as a people, it's not one or two people that's doing this. What's happening is, the Holy Spirit is inside of all of us. And because we're all being changed new, guess what? We're all in agreement that that type of sin does not belong with somebody who's been made new in Jesus Christ. Wickedness does not belong among God's people because when we come into our church, we know that this is supposed to be the foretaste of what heaven is like. So the image of Christ and the image of What heaven is, it's actually going to be seen in the people as a group. And so the people as a group under the same spirit, did you hear Paul saying that? Same spirit, the Holy Spirit, my spirit, your spirit, we're all in agreement. We know what is moral and what is immoral. We don't live like the pagan culture. We know that this is wrong. We all understand that. And because of that spirit, This is why it matters to you. You really are your brother's keeper. Did you know that? If you have a Christian brother or sister who's habitually sinning and they have no intention of changing, your responsibility as a believer is to turn them from that sin. How many times do we see Jesus saying that? You you turn them from sin. You can't do it, but remember what Paul said? We're planting the seed and we're watering it. The Lord will do it. But we're just, that's what we're doing. We're giving effort together because we're a new people. All of this goes out the window and the church looks more like the world. Can I tell you something? We're no longer remaining a new people. And then all people like me here from Christians, when I was out drinking and partying and all those things and doing all the things that I knew was wrong to do. When somebody looked down on me, I just looked down on them back because I wanted nothing to do with their God. Don't you act like I do, but call yourself different was my motto. Don't you act like I do and think you're better than me. That's killing. It's killing the church this attitude, the church universal. And I can't imagine what it would look like if the church started saying, we're not judging people, but we're going to love people enough to say, turn from this. You know, we can't save the world till we save ourselves. Did you know that? 
How are we going to point somebody to Jesus Christ when many times we haven't found him ourselves? It's not going to happen. So this morning, I don't know where you're at. I hope you're all back next week, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you're thinking about leaving or something, well, I'm never going back there. Read the Bible yourself. I'm not afraid of God's truth. Either should you be. His truth is life. His truth is life everlasting. But if you're struggling with these things, you need to pray about these things and you have access to a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I will get you one. I don't care if it's a King James Bible. I will get you a King James Bible. But you have to read it. So all heads bowed and eyes closed. Ask the Lord if you are remaining a new person in Christ. If you're a believer this morning, ask him if you are living like a new person in Christ would be. If you're not, God's grace will, he will, he will forgive you. He will help you. If you would like to change, this is where you ask him to help you to change. His presence is here. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. We're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for your wisdom. Lord, we recognize that we need your grace. We need your grace, Lord, so that not only can we be forgiven, but we can be transformed. Father, I pray that if there's anybody the sound of my voice that's struggling with anything that I've said, Lord, let the Holy Spirit speak to them. Help them. Lord, would you prompt them to read just with you? You, Lord. Not me, but you. And find out for themselves. Now, Father, I pray that you keep us safe and that you bring us back in safely Wednesday and Sunday. First, in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen.